After UKIP and the Greens outlined their agricultural policies on last week's programme, this week the Conservatives, Labour and the Liberal Democrats set out their stalls. The Conservative Party is a party that understands the countryside, uh, that understands farming. Labour will invest in broadband, housing, transport to create jobs. Well, Liberal Democrats have clear policies to make sure that farmers remain competitive and don't lose out after Brexit. Plus later, your weekly grain and agronomy. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello. We're now just days away from the general election. It's the final weekend for campaigning. One last chance to try and convince you of where to put your cross. Last Sunday, with Ellie in charge, we heard from UKIP and the Green Party. You can hear what they had to say on the podcast, available still on our website and via the mobile app. This week, the Conservatives, Labour and the Liberal Democrats have their say. And once again, it's your questions they've been answering. First, though, as with UKIP and the Greens last week, I've given all three the chance to lay out their stall and what they see as their priorities for agriculture. First, George Eustace of the Conservatives. Well, we're the only party that said that we'll keep the budget on agriculture the same for the next five years as it is now, so we're protecting it uh, in cash terms. And uh, what we want to do is ensure that as we leave the European Union, we have a a gradual and an orderly transition from the common agricultural policy we have now that farmers are familiar with and the support payments that they're reliant on to something that I think will be much better in the future, uh, much more focused on the local environmental needs, much more emphasis on soil management and soil quality. Uh, We're looking at issues such as risk management, whether we can help protect farm incomes uh, when there's a downturn, and also investment in productivity so that farming becomes more profitable. Brexit key then for George Eustace. What about Sue Heyman of Labour? Obviously Brexit is the big key issue at the moment. So uh, we want to secure continued um, European Union market access so that British farmers and food producers can continue uh, to sell their products on the continent uh, profitably. So we would work to protect British farmers and the rural economy by ensuring we continue to set the highest standards in food quality and welfare. Uh, One thing that we're committing to do is to extend the powers and the remit of the Groceries Code Adjudicator uh, to give it proper teeth and to, to, you know, further protect food producers, um, stopping the major grocers from squeezing suppliers, um, and also allowing it to launch its own investigations into any contract where it suspects abuse of power through late payments or last-minute deductions and other forms of bad practice. For the Liberal Democrats, Baroness Kate Parminter. The Liberal Democrats believe that uh, Theresa May's plan for a hard Brexit are bad news for the rural economy and we're clear, therefore, that we need the closest link with the rest of Europe where the majority of our farming exports go and the workers on our farms come from. Uh, we believe we must invest now to deliver the super-fast broadband in every property by the time of the next general election and that we must build more affordable homes so that local people can live in our rural towns and villages. Well, as with last week, we've put your questions to the parties. Many of you asked uh, questions relating to the lack of actives, neonics, possible ban on glyphosates. Uh, Among them, our own agronomist, Sean Sparling. He wanted to know what the parties would do to ensure UK farmers will continue to have the tools available to them to grow food here. Here's Kate Parminter for the Liberal Democrats. You know, I'm not going to promise farmers that they can produce food without constraints. We need our food that is not pumped with unnecessary antibiotics, that chemicals leach out into our waterways or our animals live in appalling conditions. And the European Union has been the safeguard of our environment, our animal welfare and our food standards. And there's a real danger that outside Europe there'll be attempts to water down high standards. 
And you mentioned things like glyphosates, and then also there's neonicotinoids. You know, let's be clear, there are dozens of papers which show the harm that neonicotinoids do to the bees, butterflies, birds, and uh, farmed wildlife. It's just wrong to provide bees with toxic pollen and nectar that we know causes them brain damage, makes them get lost so they forage and fail to reproduce. So Lib Dems would maintain the current ban on neonicotinoids. Well, George Eustace for the Conservatives is, as you might imagine, of a different view. Well, certainly when it comes to um, you know the EU, there have been issues and difficulties with regulation. And uh, some of the crop protection products are a good case in point, where we've had uh, real difficulties where the politics of the European Union has got in the way. And what we really want to um, do as we come out is put in place uh, authorization systems that are absolutely based and rooted uh, in science and in the evidence. That's always what we've argued for. And when we leave the European Union, it will be easier to achieve that uh, because we will simply set up our own uh, pesticide authorization procedures and we will follow the science. Labour's manifesto states that the party will protect our bees by banning neonics. When asked the specific question from Sean Sparling, Sue Heyman said it again comes back to Brexit said is that we would retain an open mind. Um, at the moment it, it seems to be scientifically justified and environmentally and economically prudent to, to restrict the use of neonicotinoids, at least in association with rapeseed cropping, um, which is where the evidence for an association to the decline in foraging bees is, is strongest. Um, because we know that crops need bees and other insects to pollinate them, so um, it's really important to, to look at this very, very seriously. And what we'd want to do is work with farmers to develop alternative mechanisms for disease control, including keeping an open mind on things like GM crops and engaging farmers in, in science uh, innovation fund that we want to set up. Um, so that's, that's the sort of uh, way we're looking at that. Another question. Claire Wright of the CLA asked whether post-Brexit, do the parties have a replacement plan in mind for the current grant funding of farm diversification and productivity? Here's what they had to say, starting with Sue Heyman. We would reconfigure the funds for farming and look to support smaller traders, local economies, uh, communities and sustainable practices um, because we really want to champion sustainable farming and food by in- investing um, investing in it. And we'd want to see a transitional plan in place as well because obviously when the cap funding goes, um, we-, we don't want to see people falling off a-, off a cliff edge. So it's very important, I think, we have a long-term transitional plan so that we can get some kind of... Um, it's more more security for the future um, so people know how to invest so we would we've, we've um, pledged to maintain farm payments until the end of the current round and then we would look and see how we would uh, rebalance the future funds uh, linking the payments to productivity and innovation and environmental stewardship but also looking at areas like flooding because where you've had flooding maybe there are different ways that we that, that we can have grants to farmers to to have uh, land set aside for for flooding there's there's lots of different things we can be looking at. Well, we've made clear in our uh, manifesto that we're going to establish a new UK prosperity fund, uh, which is going to replace uh, many of the EU structural funds. It's worth remembering that the uh, current grant funding under the Rural Development Programme will stay in place until 2020. Uh, and yes, over the last 12 months, my uh, officials in DEFRA have been working uh, very hard on what successor schemes might look like. Uh, and, and given that we're going to put more emphasis on productivity and on trying to improve uh, profitability, it's absolutely the case uh, that we would envisage there being uh, grants to replace the Rural Development Programme.
Well, at the moment, our farmers receive about £3 billion of our taxes via the European Union's Common Agricultural Policy. And once we leave the European Union, that will go. Uh, and we believe that we should continue paying farmers if they provide the public goods we need. And by that, I mean the healthy food, locking carbon in our soils, retaining water and giving us access to the countryside, which is good for our health. But they won't be paid as they are now, which means at the moment the largest landowners like the Duke of Westminster are getting large amounts simply because of the amount of land they have. So it's a fairer policy. We'll ensure the smaller farms are protected and that our taxes support those farmers who deliver public goods in effect, providing us with a natural health service. If you're listening last week, you'll know that Sir Andrew Ward raised an interesting conundrum for the parties. So we've put them to the uh, three major parties uh, this week as well, asking where food and farming would fit into the following list of priorities. Obviously, food and farming, but also the NHS, education, manufacturing, tourism and climate change. First, the Liberal Democrats. Well, every one of us needs food and the resources that farming provides. Without food, we can't be healthy. We can't make the products that make us the fourth largest food and drink manufacturer in the world with all the jobs that creates. We can't keep the countryside beautiful, which is the bedrock of our tourism. And we can't tackle climate change unless we lock carbon in the soil and retain clean water. That's why the Liberal Democrats are committed to helping farmers remain competitive after Brexit and deliver the public goods the whole country needs. Labour's Sue Heyman knows which tops her list. Well, as Shadow Secretary of State for um, for the for DEFRA, um, obviously food, farming and climate change are going to be personally at the top of my list of priorities. It's a similar response too from Conservative George Eustace. Well, these are all obviously very important issues, but what I can say is as farming minister, uh, for me food and farming uh, comes top. Uh, and uh, the reason for that is it's our biggest industry. Uh, it employs throughout the supply chain millions of people. Uh, it adds around £100 billion a year uh, to our economy. This is our biggest and most important uh, industry. And also our farmed environment and the interactions between agriculture and wildlife and some of the ethical issues that we have to address as well around uh, farm animal welfare, these are, uh, are all issues that, uh, that take up a lot of my attention. So I'm sure that if uh, you were talking to the health minister or the education minister, uh, their priorities would be slightly different. But as farming minister, uh, food and farming comes top for me. The final question for all three, why does their party deserve your vote on June the 8th? Starting with George Eustace for the Conservatives. The Conservative Party is a party that understands the countryside, uh, that understands farming, and we are the only party in this election that is guaranteed to keep uh, the budget uh, for food and farming at the same level over the next five years as it is now. And we're also the only party that's got a coherent plan uh, to develop a better way of supporting our agriculture so that farming becomes more profitable. And now, why Labour? Sue Heyman. We believe that the Conservative government has taken rural communities for granted and there has been chronic underinvestment in transport, broadband, public services, including the closure of small local schools, post offices and libraries. And we also believe that rural infrastructure and industry has been neglected. So Labour will invest in broadband, housing, transport to create jobs and ensure that our, our nation's prosperity is felt beyond the larger towns and cities and right across the rural areas. And we would look at coastal protections, better flood management and broadband, and also better mobile phone and, and mobile phone connectivity. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at things like R RPA and BSBPS payments, 
oh, you need that connectivity a lot of the time and people don't have them. And in, in rural areas, services are, are delivered differently and this needs to be reflected in funding allocation mechanisms. And finally, we would introduce a rural proofing process so that all laws, policies and programmes would consider their impact on rural communities. And the same question for Kate Parminter. Why vote Liberal Democrat on June the 8th? Well, Liberal Democrats have clear policies to make sure that farmers remain competitive and don't lose out after Brexit. We're committed to us remaining within the European single market and protecting our countryside for future generations. So there you go with the Liberal Democrats, Labour and the Conservatives. And on the podcast, last week's questions to UKIP and the Greens. Whether that's helped or hindered your thoughts for Thursday's election, I don't know, but at least we've given you the chance to hear from all of the major parties who are seeking your votes. Away from politics then, and our weekly update from the world of agronomy and the world of Sean Sparling, though uh, I know you're listening intently to what our politicians have been saying both this week and last. Yes, good morning Sean. Never ceases to amaze me. Now call me an old cynic if you like, but when I hear politicians saying, well I've always thought agriculture was important to the future of this country, or I've always been passionate about farming and the people involved all that says to me is uh, right mr journalist i know the question you've asked i know the answer you want to hear so here is that answer now give me a vote that's about the size of it um, and all you can wish is that on friday morning no matter what color downing street is the party involved are true to their word and really do believe that agriculture is important because not only is it important, it is vital to the future of this country. It's the last remaining decent-sized industry this country has. And the food we produce is not only the best welfare standard, the safest, it's the most environmentally friendly food produced anywhere in Europe, if not the world. We have to look after this industry and the people who are producing our food. Why would we want to import food of an inferior quality from anybody else just because we've run down UK agriculture completely cynically? So... There we go. I'm going to stop ranting. I'll stand for the Sparling for Farming Party, the SFP, in uh, four years' time. So, what's happened this week in agriculture? Big thing out in the field, nutrient deficiency. We're seeing nitrogen deficiency showing up everywhere, in every crop, from winter wheat through to sugar beet. And let's start with sugar beet. Um, when you've got the centre of the crop still green and the outer leaves just that little bit paler green, that is nitrogen deficiency. In any other, If it's the other way around, if you've got the centre pale green and the outer leaves are dark green and no amount of nitrogen changes that, then it's sulphur deficiency. Um, but what you'll find is if you've already put your 120 kilos of nitrogen that the NMAX allows, you can't put any more nitrogen on. So the thing to do is correct the trace elements, correct the manganese, the magnesium, for example. Put a foliar feed on and you'll probably find that by correcting the trace elements you start to affect the macro elements because you'll force the roots to flourish you make a healthier crop grow quicker and it's not that long before the roots start to get down to the layer where that nitrogen has leached down to Um, so sugar beet in general looks okay but it has shown up a lot of nutrient deficiency in the last seven days and remember that a salt application so uh, there are various products out there it acts like uh, it's a mimic for potash. There's an interaction between uh, potash and sodium. So if you put sodium on, you can start to correct a severe potash deficiency. But it's not the be-all and end-all. So speak to your agronomist, see which is the best course of action. But 
under no circumstances go outside RB209. Some occasions allow fax qualified advisors to allocate more nitrogen to a crop, but if that happens with you, make sure you get it put in writing and the man that's saying you can do it is prepared to back it um, because you don't want to get caught out on an inspection. Um, so sugar beet weed control pretty good. Centurion Max going on. Remember that 14 day interval between debut and Centurion Max. It's a crop safety issue. Um, and similarly in linseed, again, 14 day interval between Centurion Max and your broadleaf weed spray and linseed is another one that's really showing this nitrogen deficiency very widely across the county and that's because four weeks ago when the rain came or three weeks ago when the rain came some of it had hardly started it got the rain it kicked off with a drop of water to drink and the nitrogen that was put on before um, emergence has now washed away from where the roots are so again trace elements are going to help you get that crop looking healthier and forcing its roots down. Um, so peas and beans, we're finding quite a few pea aphids out there, black aphids starting to appear in spring beans. Remember you've only got one application of perimicarb now, and uh, Lambda Sahelithrin or any of the other pyrethroids are only good on caterpillars and beetles. They're not that good on aphids. Um, but monitor them, get your traps out and only spray an insecticide if there's need to do so. And for goodness sake, choose the one which is safest to go if there are bees foraging and there will be. So you might be better to go after dark or very, very early in the morning on these crops. Either way, stay out of the heat of the day because you don't want to scorch the peas. Vining peas, nicely in flower now. Um, again, PA aphids out there but speak to your agronomist as to whether you need to deal with those in the vining peas and the pea and bean weevil have never really gone away so as you get these late emergencies of spring bean fields be on top of those um, and make sure you are winning and they are not beating you on the more emerged and the, the more forward pieces of spring beans the flowers are there five days after first flowers you start to get the pod set that's when you need to be in for brookid beetle um, if you have a need so get your sticky traps out and make sure they're about and don't just spray for the sake of spraying winter wheat t2s have all finished um been on for about 10 days so the next thing will be t3 that's the timing for fusarium ear blight if it is wet at the onset of flowering within the 72 hours of the crop starting to flower you need to be on in that three-day period with either tebuconazole prothioconazole or metconazole the three actives which deal with fusarium in order to do a job. Once you get beyond that, you will not control fusarium ear blight. Um, and even if you do get it right perfectly, you will only ever get about 50% control of fusarium ear blight. So a T4 and a T5 and a T6 will make you no money at all, but they may well make money for the man who's recommending you do it. So if you're going after that first three days of flowering and it was wet at the first three days of flowering, you won't impact on the fusarium, but you will be able to top up foliar disease like yellow rust and septoria. So choose your weapon wisely and speak to your agronomist about it. Also, don't um, forget that actually we haven't had aphids on the ear for a number of years, but there are starting to build up colonies within these crops. So be on top of that as well and make sure that if you're at threshold, you include something to control those aphids because they can do quite a lot of damage if they're there in numbers haven't seen anything worthy of it yet but it may well change so apart from potatoes and the blight conditions hot and humid thundery conditions perfect for blight we've had smith period beaufort periods we've had um, every period you can imagine um, so 
start that blight period and maintain a seven-day interval while conditions are like this, it'll pay dividends for you. Uh, we like those dividends being paid, don't we? Yeah, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. On to the weekly grain report from Open Field. Chris Spratt this week. Fairly quiet week, but one or two things just of note, really. The old crop wheat market, well... That's uh, drifted lower, I think, still capped by imported wheat and maize values into mainland UK and Northern Ireland. The imports are predominantly coming in from France, destined for um, portside facilities, Teesport, Tynemouth, uh, and, and, and some going into uh, Manchester. I think recent sterling weakness actually will, will make those more expensive and may have stemmed the flow coming in just for the time being. So this year, the UK really hasn't had a massive exportable surplus, uh, and, and for the you know, big proportion of the year we've actually been exporting our better quality wheats out of the UK, which is great, and that's actually pushed up the, the or, or tightened the domestic feed wheat market towards the end of the season, where we're now buying imported feed wheat. New crop market, well, that remains lacklustre. Indecision on both sides of the fence, really. Uh, farmers, groups, stores already having sold a reasonable percentage of their anticipated forthcoming harvest, and they're happy to uh, uh, adopt a wait-and-see approach, I suppose. Consumers, again, on the flip side, they're relaxed, waiting to see if we see any harvest pressure, as really, uh, for them, um, prices remain close to contract highs on new crop. And it will be the size and the quality of the UK wheat crop that will dictate direction in the main from here. Um, and also what the ethanol sector does this year it's performed uh, as well it has done for for many seasons really or, or since since the plant started uh, and that swing factor could be the the difference as to whether we actually end up uh, in an exporting situation or uh, maybe tight on the export import parity again EU wheat production, well, that's been uh, forecast uh, 6.5 million tonnes higher this week, uh, year on year, uh, um, and that's basically uh, a redress from the failure of the French crop or the poor French crop last year. Uh, That is actually down, though, on the previous forecast of a couple of months ago of uh, 9.5 million tonnes, and it's really been uh, down to a reduction in prospects in uh, Spain, France again, uh, and then to a lesser extent the UK and Germany. Uh, But a combined 3 million tonnes, really. Uh, that's, that's 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 really been taken uh, off the top there. Spanish wheat and barley combined production that's forecast down uh, to about 4.7 million tons uh, uh, from last year's bumper crop, which will increase their import requirements. Uh, so, in actual fact, Spain did pretty well last year as far as their crop size are concerned. This year, uh, the feeling is at the moment uh, that's not going to be the same situation this year. Uh, feed barley prices, will they continue at a large discount to the wheat domestically uh, if we're pricing it on a, on, on today's market? Uh, that will need to compete on the export market and that actually we might see if, if there is some requirement down into Spain that we do see a little bit more life there uh, and that certainly should increase demand to certain destinations anyway. All seed rate, well, trying to be positive, but for long holders now and, and, and new crop sellers, the market's really just drifted away a little bit. If we look at what the Matif French market did last month, it was about uh, 20 euros down, about 5.3% during May. And soybeans on the American market, well, they fell 6.2% in the same time. Uh, and I think what we have is a, really an increase in confidence of new crop uh, prospects. But in the UK, I, th- I still think there's a great deal of debate about the actual crop size. Uh, don't forget, um, if you don't like the harvest price um, for all seed rate, well, store deals are available through Openfield. We've got lots of stores up and down the country. You can deliver in, draw some funds if required, and price the crop at a later date. 
As far as uh, prices are concerned, feed wheat X Farm for June 141 to 145, with July worth two to three pound more. Group ones nothing really much for June now, but uh, July uh, four to five pound premium at 150 to 152 pound X. Harvest feed wheat 133 to 136, with November at 136 to 139, May 18 142 to 145, and then just keeping an eye on that forward market for November 18 136 pound X. Feed barley for June 121 to 123.50 on the old crop, with harvest at 109 and November 118 X farm. Uh, for those uh, growers with spring barley in the ground, uh, November December somewhere in the region of 100 to 142 X plus a pound a month. All seed rape uh, 320 to 323 for June, with harvest 289 to 291, and November 299 to 301. All crop beans 175 to 180, with new crop for November at 152 to 154. Uh, so, Sean, there, yeah, there is plenty to keep the food chain on its toes. We've got a new government looming next week, of course. Uh, currencies and energy markets, with Mr. Trump's uh, announcement uh, towards the end of last week. We've got the ethanol market situation in the UK, good old-fashioned grain fundamentals, and the weather market. So there's plenty to keep uh, the markets honest there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're going into uh, this harvest in the UK with minimal carryover stocks, and those do need to replace. So uh, roll on harvest. Interesting times ahead. Chris Spratt from Open Field. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Yep, yeah, onto the week ahead then, and uh, some sunshine today, but a uh, bit of cloud in places. Possibility of a shower could be a sharp shower where that uh, rain does fall. Seventeen Celsius, the high later. The wind from the west southwest around fifteen miles an hour. Some uh, late evening sunshine will lead to uh, clear skies first thing overnight, though it will cloud over later. 7 Celsius, the low first thing tomorrow. The wind more from the south. Ten gusting at twenty miles an hour. Tomorrow itself starts cloudy with a few showers, some heavy rain to come by the end of the day. 15 Celsius the high tomorrow. The wind from the south, 17, gusting at 30 miles an hour. And then overnight that wind will get up even further. Still from the south, 20, maybe gusting at 40, 45 miles an hour in places. And say some sharp, heavy rain. Could be thunder mixed in there as well. Uh, Monday into Tuesday, uh, we could be seeing all 10, 15 millimetres falling around midnight. Lows overnight, first thing on Tuesday anyway, of 10 Celsius. The wind staying from the south and then by uh, Tuesday morning swinging from the west at about 20, gusting at 35 miles an hour. Further showers, though not as heavy as overnight through uh, Tuesday. Some uh, afternoon sunshine possible as well. 16 Celsius the high. The wind from the west, 20, gusting at 30 miles an hour. And then uh, clearer skies to start off Tuesday night, though it will cloud over again uh, by the looks of things for first thing on Wednesday. 9 Celsius will be the low. And the wind from the southwest, 10, gusting at 25, maybe even 30 miles an hour once again. Further heavy rain by the looks of things at the moment, sweeping across through Wednesday. It might just miss us. That could change. We'll keep updated with the hourly forecast, but it does look like rain at the moment. 15, 16, maybe 17 Celsius the high. The wind from the southwest, 20 to 30 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, some sunshine, but again, the possibility of a few sharp showers possible as well. We're looking at highs, 17, maybe 18 Celsius, with overnight lows of around 10 to 13 degrees. And that's the forecast then. Now, if you want to hear again from all the main political parties fighting for your vote on Thursday, then this programme and last week's will stay online on the podcast page on our website. Do take a listen back if you missed any of them.
Next Sunday, it's Open Farm Sunday, so we'll be uh, hearing from uh, some of those farms opening their gates, finding out just why the event is so important, maybe even now more than ever. That's next week anyway. Until then, have a good week's farming.